Hello again, everyone, and welcome to your monthly Ask an Attorney webinar coming to you as member-only content for the USCCA. This kind of content we put together for our USCCA members, and it goes out to you, our members, first. You get to see it before anybody else, and then maybe we'll roll it out to the rest of the world so people know just how good we are at all of this. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine, and I'm here once again with Tom Grieve from Grieve Law, the largest criminal defense firm in the state of Wisconsin. Am I right about saying that? That's what they tell me. I say it every time, and I still ask you the question. Um, I am not the attorney. Tom is the attorney. So we're going to jump right in and start ask some questions about what's going on out there in the world today. And uh, um, when your folks are going to be seeing this, you know, a, a week is going to have passed and things are going to change. So um, this might be a little bit dated by the time you get it, because honestly, in our world right now, things are changing so quickly between COVID-19 and autonomous zones and um, lots of different protests going on out there, the removal of statues, all sorts of things happening out there. So um, let's just bear with us. We will talk about general concepts because we don't always have all 50 state laws right down there. One of the questions on the screen over there said, I want to know the laws for all 50 states. Well, um, uscca.com slash laws, that's the best place to start because we can't give you 50 answers right away. So Tom, let's jump in with the first question here. Um, if a shooter had a concealed carry permit, the fact of him running away and attempting to escape and only shooting after he has been clubbed to the ground, could this be considered self-defense? And um, I, when somebody says shooter, I automatically think that that's a criminal. You know, it's a, um, I like to use terms like victim or suspect or subject or something like that. Uh, but um, this to me sounds like a duty to retreat question or something like that. And at what point is it okay for people to use deadly force while they're in the midst of retreat or they've retreated far enough and they decide enough's enough, I got to defend myself. Right. So let's just kind of go into a broader high level discussion just for a moment. And we'll dive back into this particular question about use of force laws, right? So if all else is equal, I'm going to touch on that again in a moment, but if all else is equal, then basically if you were in reasonable fear of imminent death, great bodily harm, in other words, if you were confronted by a uh, by a dangerous deadly force against you, then you are then privileged under the law to use deadly force to defend yourself. Okay. Now, the reason why I'm so careful about qualifying this as far as being all else being equal is because there are ways that you can still lose this, this right sometimes. So for instance, if you're the attacker and if the, the victim, if your victim in your armed robbery, your armed home invasion, whatever, uh, suddenly produces that kitchen knife or suddenly produces their own firearm to defend themselves, that does not mean now all of a sudden because you're confronted by a deadly force against you that now I can use deadly force against them. Mm -hmm. Not the way, of course, that works. So you, you have to not be the instigator in order to call it self-defense. Exactly. So yeah. you, you can't do that. And then likewise, however, if you retreat, okay, so now let's say you are that home invader uh, and, and hopefully you're not. But if you are, uh, and you go in there, and now you you get into the house, they pull out that that kitchen knife, they pull out their concealed carry gun, they pull out their home defense shotgun, AR-15, whatever it might be, and now you retreat back out of the house, 
uh, and you're on the lawn, you're on the street, and if they start shooting at you, now they may have forfeited their right to self-defense at that point. Now, that does not automatically mean necessarily that now you can defend themselves about you being, again, the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of, of wishy-washy to a degree of, well, when do you gain the privilege, when do you lose the privilege, and then how do you regain it and so forth. Mm -hmm. And this is all going to be very, very, very fact and context specific. And that's really going to be the driving forces. And don't get me wrong, how you answered in, in your caveat before of, look, check your local listings as far as these laws go, because the laws really do vary, sometimes by small nuance, sometimes by, by larger colors. Um, the laws really can and do vary from state to state. So you have to be very careful about that. Turning back to the question we have here, the fact that somebody's a concealed carrier, it, it really doesn't factor in our situation. Unless, again, the context being that they are somehow, they're concealed carrying while they're doing an armed robbery mm -hmm. or they're breaking into someone's home. I'm going to guess that this wasn't the context of the question, but I just wanted to kind of pit stop there just to kind of bring it back so to show that, look, we have to have somebody, we can't just brush off the context. The context is extremely important. And the question is short, so we don't have five pages of context. Um, but ordinarily, that context may sway the answer. So I'm going to caveat everything I say by that. So if you're getting attacked, and if you're a concealed carrier, then assuming that you do not have a duty to retreat, something you touched mm -hmm. upon. In other words, um, if you have to meet certain criteria before you are privileged to use deadly force in defense of yourself, sometimes that's a duty to retreat law. In other words, you have to exhaust all of your retreat options. You've got to run as far as you can until you hit a wall and you can't run any further and you're mm -hmm. still being chased and so forth. Um, assuming none of those apply, then look, if you can make the argument and if you can potentially legally establish to a judge and to a jury that you are privileged to use deadly force, then you are privileged to use deadly force. Uh, obviously, gun versus non-gun weapons, particularly I'm thinking about improvised weapons such as skateboards, such as um, non-edged weapons, non-traditional weapons. Something somebody's going to bludgeon you with. You right. Know, kind of they, they pick up off the yard. They pick off, mm -hmm. off whatever. It's not... It's not something that we intuitively think of as a weapon, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's something, you know, two steps removed, right? Because there's, there's weapons, there's knives, and, and then there's one step removed. We get to baseball bats, screwdrivers, box cutters, things that we can all easily see, and we've seen it in media, we've seen it in movies and Hollywood as, well, this, is, this, is, this can very easily be a weapon. But once you kind of get to the second rung removed, we get to skateboards, um, we get to heavy objects that we just don't necessarily think of as weapons. We have to acknowledge the reality. If we don't immediately see a skateboard and think weapon, as we do with a knife, as we can all intuitively with a baseball bat, uh, we have to acknowledge the fact that juries are going to think the same way. Mm -hmm. And judges may think the same way. And people are going to be thinking about those things the same way. And that is not to say at all that you can never be privileged to use self-defense against somebody bludgeoning you over the head with a skateboard, yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but it is to say that I think that you are understandably going to have a bit of an uphill battle, and that uphill battle is going to be determined by the context of the situation as well as the local laws. And that's really where the answer is going to be is, is that's really where it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I like a comment that you've made in the past. You know, the facts are the facts. And and I tell people often that when they when they ask me and I don't know why they would ask me to explain law to them. I mean, I work as a police officer. I can explain how I enforce what's out there, but I don't know why it was written that way or or or, you know, I, I 
write my report and give it to the district attorney, and away we go with that. He gets to interpret what has happened over there. The laws, um, as I see them, are often vague and maybe intentionally so because every situation is unique, and we have to apply what we're looking at from a law enforcement standpoint as the totality of the circumstance. Everything that happened leading up to that point, and I remind people that yeah, you may use reasonable force to stop an unlawful interference, and you may use reasonable force against you know a force that's being used against you, but you don't always get to decide what is reasonable once right. it gets to trial. Then there, you know, it might be the trial judge if you're just having a bench trial, or it might be the jury who gets to decide right. what you did was reasonable. So there's a whole lot of gray area in there as to, yep, you can't just put your hands up and say, well, I was fearing for my life, so I used deadly force. Well, now you got to prove it. Right. And juries are weird creatures. They can focus on things that neither the parties at trial or the judge even mentioned. Mm -hmm. And and I've had trials where that's been exactly the case, where they have invented um, their own, here's how we're <laughs> going to interpret the case. Yeah. Nobody brought it up. Nobody referenced it. Uh, and, you know, it, they, they do weird things and that can both help you and hurt you. But that's, that's part of the risk of yeah. what happens if you find yourself in the justice system. And to your point earlier, you, know, you made an excellent point about the fact that a lot of the laws are intentionally rather vague. And that's to allow for both law enforcement as well as prosecutors and ultimately judges and juries as well yeah. to take into account the totality of the circumstances. Um, and that's, you know, the one dollar word for context. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Right. Um, what what happened before it happened and what happened after it happened? Yeah. Um, what's the context and how how does this all kind of come out? And prosecutors in particular have a huge amount of discretion in our in our judicial system. Uh, to pursue justice the way that that they see and that it ought to be pursued. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that can be controversial. And obviously defense attorneys can sometimes take issue with that. And juries can sometimes take issue with that as well as judges and, and anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean it's necessarily right or wrong. They just have broad discretion. And that's why typically district attorneys in, in most counties, um, at least here in Wisconsin, and I believe elsewhere around the country as well, predominantly are, are elected officials so that um, ordinary citizens can offer input on, you know, I don't like this particular way that they're doing things. Now, of course, you know, that's not necessarily the way it always happens, yeah. but that's the theory behind it. And that's part of why legislatures deliberately leave laws rather open-ended sometimes. And I think it makes a really good case for um, the honest law-abiding citizen to make sure that he or she has an attorney if involved in a self-defense right. case. Because, um, you know, you said prosecutorial discretion, um, and it falls further down the line to law enforcement action right. discretion out on the street and how that officer is writing that initial report because um, folks need to understand that the district attorney wasn't there. Right. The district attorney is looking over the reports from the officers on the scene, and then if the investigators who may not have been there, who are doing follow-up investigations, all of that stuff comes together before a charging decision is even made. And it, right. it becomes a quagmire um, for the average citizen who is just thinking, you know what, I was trying to save myself and save my family, you know, do the right thing. And now you're caught up in a legal system that is far more complex than most people understand. This isn't Hollywood. You know, in Hollywood, the prosecutor is riding shotgun and maybe even taking over the investigation itself, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I'm not saying that, that I've never seen cases where that have happened. I'm not saying that it's impossible. What I am saying is that it's rare and, and highly unusual. 
uh, everybody kind of has a different different role to play in the justice system. And typically, prosecutors are not investigators. You let the investigators investigate, and then the prosecutors tend to take it from there. And sometimes they can play a guiding role as far as getting subpoenas, getting warrants, uh, discussing the development of evidence, the development of, of, uh, of interviews and so forth, particularly in larger cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's by no means, as you know, the ordinary standard operating procedure yeah. of the relationship and the breakdown of, of the duties between uh, law enforcement officers, so sheriff, state patrol, police, and so forth, uh, versus uh, prosecutors themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on down the list here. Xavier asks us a question that as a trained CCW permit holder, we are trained to shoot to stop. If the person we shot then gets up and tries to escape and is not a threat or an, of immediate death or great bodily harm, can we keep shooting or do we become the aggressor and our claim of self-defense is no longer valid? Is this correct? I, I'm going to say, yeah, once the threat stops, stop shooting. Right. I'll let you elaborate. Once the threat stops, stop shooting. There we go. Xavier, <laughs> Xavier you got it from yes. both sides of the table this time. Um, that Now, uh, the flip side of that, you shoot somebody, they fall down, drop their gun, and then grab their gun and try to get to their feet or just grab their gun and try to point it at you. Different situation. Yep. I'm going to say start shooting again. You shoot until the threat stops. And then um, the question will come from the investigator, why did you shoot six times? Because five wasn't enough and seven was too many. So I had to I had to stop when the threat stopped. So yes, Xavier, if the person is no longer a threat, even if you don't shoot them, if they run away, you know, put your gun away and call the police. And even if you don't shoot, call the police because you want to be making that complaint. You don't want somebody else calling the police saying that you were there pointing a gun at somebody. So, And it's not worth you going to prison for mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. No matter how angry you are, no matter, no matter what happened, it's not worth you losing your life legally mm-hmm. to the justice system because you, in, in an understandable outrage, if, if this person broke into your house and tried to do something to you or your family, um, understandable outrage is not the same thing as legally justified outrage. And we can, I think, all appreciate and put our put ourselves in the position of somebody who is understandably outraged that somebody tried to break into their house and tried to do Lord knows what to who knows who in their own home. Um, but that's not a reason for you to spend the rest of your life behind bars. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very good point. All right, we'll move on down the list. I know that in some cases, a city has some immunity from lawsuits. But in something as egregious as the Seattle Chop District, does the city not open itself to liability to all the residents and businesses, as well as the families of the four people who were shot in that area, um, while the city was actively allowed the takeover of that part of Seattle? Um, And, you know, we're here this morning knowing that the Seattle police have moved into that zone to take it back. Um, And um, honestly, I I chuckled a little bit when, you know, the lawsuits were filed against the city and now suddenly it's time to to take that back. So um, do cities have, you know, some sort of immunity, qualified immunity, anything like that, that protects them if they pull the police out and suddenly they they just decide, nope, we're not going to. We're not going to protect you anymore. Long story short, we're going to find out. Um, I mean, look, situations like this don't come up every day. And for those of you who may not know what we're talking about, there was a region in Seattle, uh, a handful of blocks that were basically um, uh, taken over, for for lack of a better way of putting it, Mm -hmm. uh, by protesters uh, who declared it an autonomous zone where uh, police and, and other emergency responders and so forth 
were not allowed to come in, as I understand it. Uh, and it lasted for a week, maybe yeah, two, yeah, something like weeks that. for sure. Right? Um, uh, business owners were complaining about the fact that uh, their businesses saw massive downturns in, in traffic, from, from what I read online at least. Yeah. Uh, and there were at least four shootings, and I think two deaths, you Yeah, said? I believe it's two deaths, um, uh, four shootings, um, multiple reports of assaults and rapes and, and, right. and other um, atrocities. Uh, we'll, right. we'll, we'll call it what there is. Um, there, there was no official police presence. Um, in the face of the initial protest a couple weeks ago, um, the city decided to vacate one of their police stations um, right. just to not antagonize the protesters any further. Sure. Um, and then it turned into a, well, we got the police station, let's see what else we can get, <laughs> apparently. And uh, they took over about a six block area and decided to um, basically run it themselves to show they could do it without the police. Um, right. And uh, um, what we're seeing now is really wasn't working that well. A lot of folks were arguing over who was in charge and uh, and making statements and, and in some cases, you know, um, carrying firearms, which again, not a crime. You know, Seattle has uh, and, and Washington State allows for open carry. They just have all kinds of other draconian laws that, that right. don't allow you to uh, to do some other things w with guns. But, um, yeah, I, and I think you're absolutely right that we're about to see what's going to happen um, with these lawsuits if they even go forward now um, that Seattle police have back into that that chop area. I have a suspicion that they will go forward. Um, the, the, the gist to the lawsuits, which are brought by both the business as well as the property owners, effectively alleges the big picture idea being that that the, as a result of Seattle withdrawing these services, as a result of the situation that the city either created or allowed to be created and took no action to stop, uh, that they suffered um, at a minimum, financial harm. And of course, Lord knows if there's going to be other lawsuits coming out from the people who suffered physical harm. Um, I suspect that these, that these suits will go forward. Um, and I think we're going to get some answers to that question. But look, there, there is not a long lineage of uh, anarchy case law in urban America. So, um, and, and I'm not saying that to editorialize one way or the other. I'm just saying there's, no, there, there's not a lot of case law on point. So we're going to find out uh, what what happens as far as the lawsuits go, and and we're going to find out what happens as far as qualified immunity for cities go, um, and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting ride for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think, and and a lot of folks, um, I, I wanted to mention this before, a lot of folks don't understand that you know the incident may only take a few minutes, or in this case, a couple sure. of weeks. The aftermath of all of this stuff is going to play out for months and years to come. Understanding. Um, how the cases are going to go to trial and the case law that's going to come out of it, and then they'll be appealed, and and there is going to be lots of stuff to learn about this. So, right. um, next question down the list. Um, uh, again, back to the chop or the Chaz area. Um, I don't know if it was the occupied protest or the uh, or the autonomous zone. I'm I'm going to go with Chaz on this one because that that seemed to where they started the first area. If police aren't protecting people that live or work in the Chaz because it's occupied, and we have that in quotes. Would a person protecting themselves, or how would this be handled legally? Let's say you work in the area and someone attacks you and you have to use deadly force. What laws actually govern that if it's an occupied area? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Washington state law was not repealed in the occupied area, and all the laws probably still apply. To my knowledge, there has been no official recognition of the CHAZ as a truly autonomous zone outside mm -hmm. Washington State or the United States. 
to my knowledge, there was no um, military law that was declared in the area. And look, I, I'm not trying to be tongue in cheek about this. I just, these are, this is the legal analysis I'm going through to get to your answer, which I agree with, which is, to my knowledge, Washington laws and, and whatever municipal Seattle laws may apply to, or whatever municipal laws, period, none of those were repealed. Now, mm-hmm. directly to the question, uh, it's going to be a mess. If you have to use your, your, your firearm in self-defense, whether it's in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, CHAZ, um, or maybe a future one somewhere, uh, whether it's in Washington State or elsewhere, it's going to be a mess. And the reason why I say that is because, as we saw here, uh, you know, Kevin, was there a shooting went down? number of shootings went down. Could law enforcement access the scenes to interview witnesses, gather evidence, process things, and so forth? No, not at all. Um, they, they weren't allowed in. Ambulances right. weren't allowed in. In, in uh, all four cases of the shootings, um, people were transported to hospitals by private vehicle. So if that's the case, then how would you go about investigating this f- remotely, mm-hmm. effectively? Yeah, um, and I, I can't see a really good way. Um, you know, we're going to be calling, you know, canvassing the area and like you said remotely how do we find witnesses we're going to have to just put the word out and say who wants to talk and i'm assuming in the autonomous zone not a lot of people wanted to talk to police they didn't even want them in there so the laws while not um you know set aside are certainly going to be delayed in their application and again that's that's why i've always told people to carry a gun because the cops can't always be there and now you're seeing just how long police officers can be delayed from responding to and then investigating actions like this and and i don't even want to say actions we'll call them what they are crimes investigating these sorts of crimes and People were on their own, and uh, that made folks very, very uneasy. Right, and and you know when people are are uneasy, nerves get up, blood pressure shoots up, and things are more likely to happen. If I were to put on my my police hat, I'm going to take a crack at this, and you grade me. All right, um, if I were to put on my police hat as to how would I investigate this, uh, and again, I I'm not a Washington State attorney, so this is not legal advice. Uh, this is this is nothing binding. This is just me shooting off the cuff. All right couple guys on the internet here. All right. I like this. Here we go. (laughs) So what I would probably do, subject to it being legal to local laws, is obviously you start by getting in touch. And the police have, and and local municipal governments have all the contact information for local business owners, building owners, and so forth. I'm doing a lot of things at once. Number one, I'm reaching out to all of them. I'm getting all of the camera footage just Mm -hmm. to see what, what was out there. Um, so number one, processing as much camera footage as possible, not only in the exact area itself, but around areas to, again, develop as much context as possible. Um, I am going to try to also pull the, the camera footage from the hospital. I'm going to be looking at license plates of who are these people, you know, who, who are the car owners that dropped them off? Did they identify themselves uh, to, to hospital personnel? And again, I don't know what the local laws are here. So if I'm, if I'm, if something's off base, then it's off base, and and you know it's it's not a it's not a strike, it's a ball, so rule it out. But otherwise, big picture, this is how I'm I'm looking at it. So I'm trying to develop those witnesses. I would probably look at doing some subpoenas for Google and other cell phone uh, uh, manufacturers and carriers to basically geofence the area to figure out okay, because most people, particularly young people, they're always carrying their their smartphones around. Mm-hmm. So all right, who was there at that particular moment in time? Right? I'm going to geofence a couple blocks around it to figure out exactly if the shooting happened at 10 o'clock at night, then at, then at between you know 9.30 to 10.30 or whatever time window seems appropriate given the facts. All right, um, Let's geofence this. Let's figure out exactly who was there. 
Uh, I'm gonna be looking at the legalities of possibly taking a look at any videos, pictures, and so forth that were taken at the time. I'm gonna be obviously trying to pull those people in for for uh, for witness statements, for interviews, and all that kind of stuff. I could keep going. This is the gist as to, I think, how you'd have to do a bootstrapped remote investigation, potentially days after the fact. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I don't know, I don't know what would be considered in or out of bounds there from Washington state law, which again, I'm not an expert on. Um, I don't know. But those seem like some cursory first steps to take which is a far cry from being able to get boots on the ground within minutes after it happened, where typically, you know, a lot of witnesses are still milling around, even if they weren't maybe an actor in the scene, they're still going to be able to identify things and point things out. It's going to be a lot harder to investigate. Um, and it may not go anywhere. And the reason why I'm saying all this in response to the question is because I don't know what kind of actor our, our question uh, writer here is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's somebody who's thinking of him or herself as part of the protests, as some sort of counter-protest, as some sort of, I'm not even trying to participate, I'm just a guy trying to go to work, which seemed to be how the, how the question was set up. Mm -hmm. But presumably something happened whereby uh, they felt that they were in uh, a deadly force situation. And that context is going to drive a lot here, as we always talk about, because if a protester, which I'm assuming to be the context of the question, maybe not, right? Either a protester is attacking them, and now they have to defend themselves against a protester, and therefore I assume that you're going to have a lot of very not helpful witnesses saying a lot, very a lot of not helpful things against you, or you're just a target of some sort of random criminal target of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. In which case, that person presumably may be acting when no one else is around. There's limited witnesses, and maybe they're acting in concert with other friends. Uh, and allies against you. And again, not a great situation for witnesses. So those are kind of the two contexts that I think would probably cover the majority of our scenarios that a, an ordinary guy trying to go to work under unordinary circumstances finds himself in a situation where uh, they could be using deadly force. And both of those contexts are going to drive uh, not only the gathering of evidence quite differently, where if there's a protester attack, it might be on cell phone video, there's probably a lot more witnesses, I imagine, as opposed to, an, for lack of a way of putting it, an ordinary criminal yeah. targeting an op a, a target of opportunity here where there's going to be a, a different set of evidence. But either way you cut it, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be, it's going to be a difficult investigation. And to, to our, our question asker, um, that's going to be a tough situation to be fighting against because you may only have your word against one, two, 10, 20, 50 other people. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully there's going to be some, some video footage to exonerate you and to show exactly what happened. Um, but that's going to be a tough situation. That's going to be a very tough situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, all the, all the normal self-defense laws still apply to you as the good guy. And like you said, you're, you're probably facing a handful of people who are, not going to be what I would call 100% truthful, um, but folks never lie to the police. Never. Never. And, you yeah. know, just to kind of recap, you know, what we've talked about on some of these, some of these, uh, these discussions that we've had going a year plus now is uh, you and I have talked about the fact that, you know, um, right, you show up to a scene and, you know, five friends try to attack this one guy, right? Maybe he was, maybe the guy, they thought he was drunk, they tried to rob him for his wallet, whatever it is. Uh, I have seen my own cases, my own practice as a former state prosecutor and, and, and criminal defense attorney where, um, you know, the bad guys 
flip the script and they mm-hmm. say, well, the good guy tried to rob me. Yeah. That's it. It's hard to remember many times where the bad guys say, yep, I tried to rob him and here's what happened. Right. <laughs> Gas stations are different. Right. Yeah. Uh, retail situations are different because it's pretty clear cut. Look, the cashier didn't try to rob me. And by the way, there's 50 cameras. Right. Yeah. Um, but when you get out to these these street encounters and things like that that are more nebulous, in my experience, invariably the bad guy fl- tries to flip the script and say, no, he, I'm the victim here. Yeah. And that's what this guy in our question needs to be prepared for, unfortunately. Absolutely. All right, let's move on here. And and this is one that's, that's also been in the news and, and probably will continue to be in the news for a while here, especially um, with protests and other stuff going on. If you are protecting a monument from protesters and there is a violent incident... Are you at fault automatically because you were there in the first place, and this is in quotes, guarding something? Um, I want to make the statement very clear that um, you are there voluntarily. You are not You are not assigned by the city to guard anything. You right. went to that protest um, to be a counter-protester or a voice of reason or whatever you want to call it. When you're there, um, if, if you're guarding something— you have made a conscious choice to do that. You haven't been assigned to do that, and you don't have to do that. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't think that, that you need to be guarding the Robert E. Lee statue or the, the statues, you know, that are being pulled down, or, you know, whether it's uh, Lincoln or, or whoever. I mean, statues of all types are getting right. pulled down. If you decide to go out there, you're making a conscious decision. So now um, you may not automatically be in trouble, but you you have chosen to get involved. So um, let's start from that point. Um, you're there, and you're saying no, don't don't wreck this statue, and things get violent. Right. Well, for starters, what we have seen, and again, I'm I'm not. I don't think either of us are necessarily trying to editorialize anything. We're just mm-hmm. trying to say observationally. Well, here's what's been happening, and here's what you need to know. Um, here's what's been happening. Here's what you need to know. The people who have been putting themselves into these situations. Um, and I'm not saying that for or against them. I'm, I'm, I'm not attacking them. But the people who, who do that are definitely finding themselves at the mercy of the media. They're finding themselves at the mercy of all social media, all that kind of stuff. And we are seeing that there is um, a force behind that that seems to be driving, and we'll see, but it may be influencing some prosecutorial decision-making processes. Um, and again, we are... Today is, is, you know, not tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We're going to see how this all plays out. So it's possible that uh, the justice system um, will, will be continuing to operate or will, con- will operate independently of a lot of these forces. Again, for better or worse, that's a separate question. Um, but context, context, context. If you're going to put yourself at a scene and if you're going to, to do this, um, there's going to be automatically some jurors out there, some people out there who are not going to like you. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do this automatically, there's going to be some people who are going to like you, right? Um, and there's going to be a lot of people in the middle probably asking a variety of, of questions. I'm not making that up. That's just what it is, yep. right? Um, and, and I'm not here to bruise any feelings except in so far as just relaying reality. So what I would say is this, is that if you're in a situation, if you are privileged to use deadly force in self-defense, then you are privileged to use deadly force in self-defense in accordance with local laws. Um, However, I would not be surprised if 
your situation was highly scrutinized, your motives were highly scrutinized, and if everything about your Facebook social media posting history and, and every single little group you ever clicked like on or joined or, or whatever it is that people are doing these days in social media, if all those were not scrutinized going back 10 years plus to find any hint of any kind of motive, you know, if you had your firearm that had the, um, you know, some wait and smile for flash and all that kind of stuff, uh, or smile and wait for flash or whatever it says, um, all those sorts of things are going to be informing the context of who you are, why you were there, uh, and uh, it's it can be ugly. Yeah. And I wish I had something very definitive to kind of pin down on this, but honestly, that's not the kind of situation that we're in right now. Yeah. It just it just isn't. And and people are going to be asked exactly what they did, and that's going to be the big question. Okay, you are there to quote unquote defend the statue. Right. What did you do as the people who wanted to tear down the statue? What did you do as they walked forward to tear down the statue? Exactly. Did you put your hands on them? Did they touch you first? And this is all going to go round and round with different witnesses and different testimony and stuff like that. Um, for me. You know, I don't need to put myself in a situation where, one, I could end up in jail or worse, dead, because I'm defending a statue, which, if it comes right down to it, if the court decides, the statue can be rebuilt. I don't need to stand there and make my political statement because I disagree or agree or, or whatever is going right. to happen out there. And, again, I'm not choosing sides or saying which statues need to stay up and come down or anything like that. I'm talking about very serious repercussions for actions of you getting in front of somebody who decides they want to vandalize something. You know, is it your property to protect? And again, are we protecting property or are we protecting people? Well, and, and it's, it's, we're talking about the legal consequences. There's obviously mm -hmm. all as well as physical consequences where if somebody throws a rock at you or, mm -hmm. or whatever it might be, there can be obviously physical issues. But um, from a legal aftermath, how do we untangle this ball of rubber bands or whatever to try to figure out what exactly happened? Look, unless you are wrapped in body cameras <laughs> that were all on and so forth, but to, to your point, you're absolutely right. Okay, so the protesters come up with um, you know, a sledgehammer and they say, I'm going to take down the statue. What are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to are you going to stop them? Or are you going to shove them? Or are you going to push them? Uh, I mean, it is what it is. You're you're there to effectively you're going to try to protect the statue by intimidating them from not approaching it. Mm -hmm. Is effectively the play here is is I guess the way I'm looking at it. And again, I'm just saying this legally, kind of looking at this um, uh, from my shoes as a Wisconsin criminal defense attorney. Um, as I think I said, with a little bit of a Wisconsin accent there, yeah. um, but a, as a Wisconsin criminal <laughs> defense attorney, <laughs> we're gonna have a cheese break soon, yeah. folks. Okay, yeah. um, but no, it's it's absolutely right. And what are you gonna do? Are you gonna stop them? Or are you gonna get out of the way? And let's face it, you being there is obviously gonna provoke the crowds. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that to attack you. I'm just saying that observationally is here's what's going to happen. Yep. Your car may get vandalized. You know, you may have rocks thrown at you. What are you going to do? Shoot at the people throwing your rocks? Uh, it, it's a no-win situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this to to excuse the crowd from throwing rocks at you. I'm not. I'm not saying this to get anybody out of criminal charges, um, which whichever side you're on. I'm simply saying that this is a very bad situation to be in. Uh, and it's going to be horrific to investigate. And so far, it looks like you're going to be prosecuted in the court of social media 
um, and and Hollywood. And even if you are legally exonerated, you're going to bear consequences if you do have to use your firearm for as you always do. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly here, uh, particularly these days, um, it's going to be a different situation. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. We're uh, moving on here, and uh, I'm just going to skip over the question about can I legally carry into a, into the CHAZ even though it's an autonomous zone? Yeah, yes, you can. The the if you're legal to carry in the state of Washington, you're you know um, unless there's some sort of like you said formal recognition that someone else is now in charge and they get to write their laws. Um, your state laws still apply, folks. So. Um, this is an interesting one coming up. What can I do to defend myself and my home if a group attempts to set up an autonomous zone that includes my home and uh, against my will? Well, of course, it's against your will. If, if you know, then you wouldn't be defending yourself if you were part of the team setting up the autonomous zone. Am I just supposed to give up my home and everything I've worked so hard for? Um, I see two different elements to that question. If somebody's you know, looping in a six block area and your home happens to be in there, that's different than if they're coming saying, we're taking your house to set up our headquarters. I, th- I think there's there's two different, completely different elements for that. Um, but I'm going to go back to my standard statement. Are you facing an imminent threat of death or great bodily harm? When you are, then you can use deadly force to stop that. Um, is there really anything else you can do if somebody's setting up an autonomous, a quote-unquote autonomous zone, and the police leave the area? Call your lawyer. Mm-hmm. I'll start there, <laughs> yeah. which I realize may seem as a self-serving comment from a lawyer. Yeah. But look, lawsuits got filed and this thing ended. Okay, mm-hmm. that's 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 not editorializing. That's math. Yeah. That's the way this went down. Mm-hmm. Um, your house is many things. Um, th- at a certain level. For many people, not everybody, but but for most people, I suspect, your your house and your things in it, um, some of it's replaceable, some of it's irreplaceable. None of it's as irreplaceable as you, your family, your loved ones, and so forth. Um, if you feel that you are, you know, if they're looping it off, you don't have somebody coming to your door, pointing guns, and so forth, and telling you to get out. But if you find yourself in this, in a section that's being cordoned off, you're going to have some tough decisions to make. Uh, and I think making a careful record of what you do, um, speaking as an attorney, just kind of generically, uh, making a careful record of what you did and when you did it is going to be very important, uh, potentially, if you are looking at doing a civil lawsuit down the line, or if you are looking at defending yourself from potential criminal charges or your own civil lawsuits down the line. So memorializing the fact somehow uh, that, hey, I contacted uh, you know, the police, the sheriff, I contacted the governor, I contacted the mayor, this is what they all said, um, and I, you know, I've I've talked to this attorney, I've talked to that attorney. This is what they're saying. Um, getting and seeking out the best advice from as many uh, and, and as varied a group of professionals as possible, um, and then making the right and best decision for you. Uh, if if you believe you're not in danger, and if you choose to stay, uh, there's obviously some risk to that. If you believe you are in danger and choose to stay or leave, there's risk no matter what you do, mm-hmm. right? Every every chamber's loaded here, so to speak. And I appreciate the fact that you may not have done anything to, to bring this on yourself. That's life. And I'm not saying that to attack you or to make light of it, mm-hmm. but that's life, man. And um, it's our job as as not only responsible firearm owners, but as, as human beings to make the best out of whatever situation we find ourselves in, to make the best calls, 
um, from an ethical position, from every position, and to move on. You can replace your home. It's I'm not I'm not saying that trivially, but mm-hmm. you can. Uh, you cannot replace the people. Um, so make whatever decision is is most appropriate for you. Um, to my knowledge, what we have seen, local laws are not suspended. Um, so all those will still apply wherever you are. And again, the situations can change. So who's to say that things, something won't be different a week, a month, a year from now? But you have to make the best decision that you can under extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, and, and it's going to be a tough choice because, you know, I, I like to remind people that, you know, we hire, we establish police departments so that we can leave our homes and go to work. Right. You know, so that we don't have to worry about, you know, someone coming and taking our stuff. And, right. yes, burglaries still happen and things like that, but in areas where there are no police, you got to stay home and protect your stuff. Basically, that's it. So um, in, in a case like that, yeah, it's a, it's a tough choice for somebody to decide what they're going to do now that, you know, I— I really feel for the people who had to go through that in Seattle who, you know, through no fault of their own, had no part in it. It's just like, okay, my block is now has been abandoned by the police and is now under the control of who knows who because they're still arguing about it. It's uh, um, That's a situation where, yeah, I don't envy them at all. I would not want to be in there. And so. it's a different situation. Look, if, if I'm living by myself, uh, that's a different situation from uh, I have dependents. Yeah. Right? Uh, I got, I've got some kids, um, maybe I have an elderly uh, family member that I'm taking care of, whatever your situation is, or even if you're just living there with your spouse, that's going to be, these are all different situations. And I, to my mind, that's probably going to influence the math to my mind. Yeah. Your mind may be different. Yeah. Um, but I don't have to live with your consequences usually and, and vice versa (laughs) as well, of course. So yeah, that's a personal defense. That's why they, you know, it's personal. It's for everyone. Here's a good one. I work in a city near a bunch of monuments. We're coming back to the monuments again. And I have to walk through that area to get to my metro home. If there is a protest going on and they are starting to tear down statues and I can't get out of the crowd, at what point can I physically defend myself? The answer is going to be the same, folks, when you are in danger, when you are in imminent danger of death or great bodily harm. Um, if you you know live on Monument Row or whatever that is in, in Richmond and things are going bad, I would suggest taking a different route to work. Right. Yeah, take, you know, add a few more steps to your Fitbit or something like that. Avoid that area. If you're standing in the crowd, don't make yourself a target. Don't. Right. You know, I mean, you get know, in, get out. Yeah, move on through. Don't you know? Don't make comments about how terrible you think it is. They're ripping down these monuments. You're going to get people to turn on you. Right. Um, and no one wants to be at the center of a mob attack. Uh, right. Again. Um, when can you use deadly force? The rules are not suspended just because someone's ripping down a statue. Um, you have to be in, in fear of death or great bodily harm. But the evidence deck may be stacked against you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absent uh, video being posted online and things like that, uh, you can expect what unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending upon if you acted right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you followed all the laws and if you truly, if that was truly your last resort as, as you know, they're, they're, trying to kill you, um, then then that evidence deck may be stacked against you, absent videos. Um, and of course, if you acted incorrectly, mm-hmm. if you just started shooting when you shouldn't have been shooting, um, then that deck will really be stacked against you because now videos are going to be even worse. Yeah. And, and it should be, candidly. Yep. So, um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not about people doing um, the wrong thing with, with firearms. We're all about responsible firearm safety, responsible firearm ownership to educate, to train, and to protect. So, um, that means that you're following all the laws, 
And I'm a big fan of uh, what I tell people is, you know, adopt the gray man principle, which is, um, you know, be capable, be prepared, be trained, be armed, but keep all of that stuff just below the surface so right. that you don't you don't raise a wake when you're moving through the crowd. And it's just like, yep, I'm just going home. See you guys later. You know, and you're living and, it. You got yeah. the gray shirt on. That's right. And a gray man pistol on my hip. The gray so man pistol. There, there you go. go. So. All right. So um, how do I ensure that my neighborhood isn't occupied? I no. I'm not. I'm not going there, Tom. I'll, I'll move down to the next one. Move to the country. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Move. You know, buy a country estate, right. and then your neighborhood will not be occupied. With all the statues being torn down, a lot of people are suddenly concerned about public art in America. Right. Um, with all it's the nice statues, we got talking about yeah, this. You know, with all the statues being torn down based on what they represent, how is it that the use of money with the same faces is accepted? Okay, I, th- I I should have read this question before um, because now we're we're getting into uh, the philosophy of are Pepsi, Starbucks, etc. still accepting cash from the anarchists, and why is their money any good? Um, this is not a self-defense question. I think maybe we should just just move on. It's with a good this legal one. tender question, though. Yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah, can talk about a, Bitcoin and all yeah, sorts of interesting. Yeah, things. Yeah, all of the alternatives, and you know, I found out recently that all the gold I purchased, or maybe I didn't, and buried in my yard, or maybe I didn't, <laughs> I still have to pay income taxes on that when I cash it in, or maybe I don't. Um, so, uh, yeah, alternative currencies. Not something I really know anything about. Or, not or, in the Concealed Carry magazine? Yeah, not. Uh, we're not running anything like that. So, um, ooh, this one is directly to you as an attorney. Oh, so good. I knew that one good. wasn't for me. So, Fantastic. Um, would you want your client to be recording as they go out to protest or counter-protest? With all of the situations being played out right now and the skewed media coverage, would it be beneficial to have the full events of any potential encounter recorded? So, sure. I mean, yeah, you know, GoPro on your hat. GoPro, you know, uh, GoPros uh, everywhere, yep. right. Uh, look, this would be my generic advice to people, um, as it has been, I'll add, when, when I've talked to folks who have been contemplating doing one thing or another, uh, is, look, the safest thing you can do is not to go. Mm-hmm. And that's not me trying to step on your First Amendment rights or your Second Amendment rights. That is me giving you unbiased, unfiltered legal, you know, representation to my clients. Yeah, avoid right? the fight. And you down the lens. <laughs> you're not my clients. Let me be clear. Um, but I, I want to help at the same time. Um, if you introduce and you expose yourself to risk, you are doing just that. You're exposing yourself to risk. So the safest advice that myself, your mom, or anybody can tell you is don't go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and that's before getting into all the pandemic coronavirus angles. That's just straight up legal advice, all right? Um, but again, this is not legal advice because I'm I'm only talking to my clients when I say that. But just generically, it's the safest thing you can do. Speaking as as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, and so forth, and as a neighbor, is look, don't go, mm-hmm. right? If, however, you want to go, which this is still America, you can do that. Um, people are making history. People are making history. It. This yeah. we are kind of living in history. Yeah. I mean, we are very much so. So. Um, you know, if you, if you, your conscious dictates that you go, or even if you just kind of want to spectate or hang out or just whatever it is. Okay. All right. You're going right. Um, I would generally say, you know, try to follow the gray man principle, which, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you touched on there. Um, and could you elaborate on that a little bit further or is there much to really elaborate on? And 
Absolutely. Um, you know, the gray man principle is, like I said, this idea of being prepared and being ready and being trained and being capable of doing all of the things you need to do to protect yourself, but not making a show of it. Blend in. And again, you know, um, I've said this for years. If you're going to have a gunfight on Wednesday, I'm not going to be there. I got something else to do. Um, I don't want bullets flying all around. I don't want, I certainly don't want any flying towards me. Um, I'm going to avoid that. If you decide that you're going to go and see this stuff and watch it happening, yeah, blend in. Make sure that you are not doing anything to draw attention to yourself. And sadly, in some cases, we've seen people singled out just because of the color of their skin at some of these protests, whether it was the, the alt-right protest before in Charlotte, Charlottesville um, or, or some of the Black Lives Matters protests. It, you, know, you never know who the crowd is going to turn on, so you right. have to be careful if you're going to go there um i would i would say avoid it i just don't want people involved in that fight so but but if if you're going to go um and assuming that you're educated you're trained you know what you're doing and you're going to follow all these right things which uh, god i i hope you're going to do that um then uh then yeah video recording can absolutely be a fantastic defense against Mm -hmm. whatever it is that comes up um, some people will obviously raise the question of, well, why were you video recording? Because again, if we're now looking in hindsight being 2020, uh, and I wonder where that phrase came from now, yeah. right? Uh, with hindsight being 2020, um, okay. Um, so you were in this incident, you've been arrested or you're being investigated. Why were you recording all this stuff? Were you going to start something? Yeah. Were you there to instigate? Right. Were you there to instigate? Um, so people are going to be asking those questions and I'm not saying that that's fair because obviously you can do that. Right. Um, and again, you got to check your local listings, you know, one party consent videotaping state, two party consent. And, and so there are some local laws to be careful of. If you're even in public, there, there are some yeah. local laws you got to be careful about there. So always, always, always check your local listings. Right. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, follow the right stuff. If you have to go video recording, it can be a fantastic defense. If things start to get hot, leave. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. Leave. Yeah. Because. Even if you believe, um, and and you believe however firmly in your heart that that statue X Y Z, you know it's a it's a Catholic saint, it's a uh, it's a whoever, mm-hmm. right? Even if you believe in your heart of hearts that this shouldn't be damaged, you are very much risking both your physical and legal safety uh, to intervene or to become part of the situation, to become an actor, even if it's an unwilling actor, an actor in the situation. And that's just what it is. Yeah. And, and honestly, if, if folks start shooting, if that's what happens there, um, there's nothing saying that just because you weren't involved, just because you were only a witness, you're not going to get hit by one of those bullets. Absolutely. uh, Um, and so, yeah, People want to see it, but I don't know if that's, you know, that's certainly not the safest thing for folks to be doing. Um, There's one topic that I've been following, one event, and I'm going to spring this on you. Oh, good. uh, Yeah, um, that I've I've been paying attention to, and I I want to bring up because it's been an ongoing debate, and I've actually even, you know, um, um, looked up and quoted state statutes, you know, for the use of deadly force and the use of force and things like that. This is going to be a good one, I can tell now. Um, So I believe it was in Oklahoma. But I, I was still, you know, quoting Wisconsin statutes because that's the only one that I have really good access to. Um, a young lady at a party um, had a few drinks and uh, on a dare crossed the street and stole a Nazi flag from the mm. neighbor's house. And as she was running away from the house carrying the Nazi flag, the 
Nazi who owned the house <laughs> came outside and shot her several times with a rifle and left her in the ditch. And um, it shocked me that there was an argument over whether or not he was correct. Um, mm. That's really what sort of prompted me. I don't often get into um, vigorous Internet debate, but there was there was an argument over she shouldn't go in his yard and she shouldn't take the, you know, his property. And, uh, oh, OK, regardless of what she took off of his house or off of his porch, if someone comes to your house, steals your garden gnome and takes off running, this is not a place to use deadly force. Not, I mean, the, I, I don't know how much more clear we could take this. And and actually, I've, I've answered the question for you. You could just sit there and nod. And no, this like, is yeah. great. Yeah, uh, yeah no. Um, so, look, there are some states with some odd laws out there. Like, I, I've heard rumors of states, and I won't name them, where, where it is legal to use deadly force in a property defense case. All right? Mm -hmm. Let's just remove those from the equation. All right? Uh, because, to my mind... There's both a, and maybe I'm 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 going to cross lanes here a little bit, but to my mind, there's both a legal dimension, but then there's something underneath that. You know, there's there's an ethics, there's a religious, there's a philosophical dimension as well um, that you've and you've got to square yourself with both of them in essence. Um, and um, look, subtracting the Nazi flag situation and going to the garden gnome situation, right? Uh, would I be pissed that somebody's trespassing on my property and stealing my garden gnome? Of course. Um, would I, would whatever anger or outrage that I feel over watching someone, I don't care who it is, a girl, a guy, whatever, right? Um, steal that garden gnome. Is that going to allow me to look at myself in the mirror the next day and sh after I shot them? No. Mm -hmm. I, just, there's, for me, there's an ethical dimension that says, I'm not willing to go that far mm -hmm. for a garden gnome, for I don't own any Nazi flags, but even for an American flag, I'm not I'm not going to shoot someone who's stealing a, a flag off my porch. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's not going to happen. Don't get me wrong; I'll be angry if somebody's stealing my flag, but I'm not shoot. It wouldn't even enter my mind to mm -hmm. do that. So there's there's a lot going on in this situation that we could probably spend hours unpacking. Um, but neither of us are, are professionals in, in those realms. So leaving those aside and kind of bringing us back to the legal Second Amendment self-protection dimensions. Um, some of these states, Wisconsin too, if you really get into it, they've got some odd definitions of what constitutes a dwelling. So if we look at Castle Doctrine, uh, ordinarily Castle Doctrine at a minimum protects you uh, if you are using deadly force if somebody's breaking into your home. Right? Mm. And sometimes they go to a business and sometimes they even extend to your car and you've got to, generally speaking, be in those places and somebody's breaking in and you're inside, right? Um, and again, we're not going to go into the weeds and all the different qualifiers and this and that. But sometimes there are some weird definitions and qualifiers and what constitutes a home, what legally constitutes a home. So for instance, if I'm in my bedroom, yeah, that's my home. That's my dwelling, right? Um, what about my living room? Yeah, okay, that's going to be a home too. What about an attached garage? Yeah. What about an enclosed front porch? What about an unenclosed front porch? What about the front steps outside the porch, but leading up to it? What about my back patio? Well, what about my driveway? At some point, different legislatures draw a line. And uh, that's, that's a difficult spot for them to be in, candidly. Um, because 
you can argue a lot of different things and you can take a very conservative interpretation and say, well, it should just be your home and not the attached garage. And then you could start to take steps out and say, well, an attached garage, okay. Detached garage, no, because it's we're really just talking about property defense. We're not talking about yeah. people defense at that point because there's no access to the house. But, you know, at, at the end of the day here, um, uh, look, no, you, you should not be shooting people speaking ethically to my mind you should not be shooting people stealing something uh from from your lawn it stinks don't get me wrong it's mm -hmm. it's they shouldn't be doing it um but but you should not be shooting people either um you do get into this gray area which is the reason why i really want to hit on that as i have of check your local listings because castle doctrine in different states can have surprisingly open definitions of what constitutes a dwelling where does that line extend to mm -hmm. now even if we and i don't know what the laws in oklahoma are but but let's just say that that this flag started in the castle doctrine okay sphere yeah um she was still running away at a minimum and obviously yeah. she she grabbed something and took off yeah. right um so i don't see and again i'm not I don't know every single self-defense law and every single nuance as to where all the state legislatures in all 50 states draw these lines. But you've got somebody in a clearly a property context who doesn't sound like they got into the home. It sounds like maybe a porch or a front stoop, something like mm -hmm. that. They grabbed it, and they she made it a good ways across the lawn, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Was clearly retreating. I heard nothing in your setup here of she was armed or, or she was yeah. throwing grenades behind over her shoulder or anything like that. Um, that... But for the existence of odd local laws, I'll call it, this sounds like a clearly, on so many levels, categorically, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's where I wanted to go with that. And, and also, just to wrap up, we're getting near the end of time here. I want to remind people, if you're online, if you're on Facebook posting in defense of this, especially some of the vehement comments I got when I said, hey, folks, we don't shoot people for stealing things, you know. Um, and and some of the response I got back was like, "Hmm, you just threatened to commit murder and hide my body, so that's that's going to be a problem." <laughs> so, um, it's uh, I'm, I'm getting some signals over here. We're looking at the screen to check some videos. All right, <laughs> so um, uh, I I forgot that the videos were coming. So. Um, Tom, we want to show you a couple of videos. Um, this first one, I believe, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, the video here, um, we alluded to it earlier, you know, getting hit with a skateboard and stuff like that. And uh, um, this this might have been where a lot of the questions that came uh, concerning monuments started because apparently in this video, a man was at, he was a counter-protester at a, an area where they were going to take down a monument, and he ended up being forced to defend himself um, when the crowd turned on him. And, and let's take a look at this video and you can see just how quickly everything happens and we'll get your perspective and as he's, an attorney he's been it. chased at this point yeah, i think where yeah, this video he, he's starts been chased and and uh I, I believe you'll see here he gets smacked on right. the head with a blunt object a skateboard he retreated oh. for a while and got chased mm -hmm. and Dude, you guys, and yeah you, you hear that now that uh you know the, the threat to kill him and after this shooting, I don't know why he stayed right in the middle of the street. From a tactical perspective, I'm thinking, you know, move to some sort of cover. Um, but in that situation, lots going on there and lots to talk about. Uh, multiple attackers. Um, I believe he shot two of them or shot at two of them. And, and you saw the one who went down. 
looking at that as you know putting on your criminal defense attorney hat um are you seeing that this guy was in imminent fear um uh, was was in fear of imminent death or great bodily harm so th the reason why i was i was trying to sneak in the the context to this right mm -hmm. and and you did a great job of setting it up um this guy something went down in the crowd and, and i'm not pretending to have all the details here okay yeah. so let me just kind of qualify this with look i'm not i don't have all the evidence i'm not involved with this case in any way shape or form i haven't talked to anybody I haven't interviewed anybody i'm reacting to the same public videos we can all search on youtube and elsewhere okay um i don't know if he provoked somebody or if he, they just started attacking him don't know what does seem to be clear is that he withdrew from the crowd and he was trying to get away um, what does seem to be clear is that a handful of individuals from the crowd pursued him. What does seem to be clear is the fact that uh, they started hitting him. Uh, and we can hear at least one person say in this recording, we're, we're going to kill you. And it was a little bit spicier than that, but I don't yeah. want to get bleeped out. Yeah. Um, but we're going we're gonna to blankety blank kill you, yeah. there basically. There was a threat of, of killing. So. And we get that combined with a skateboard to the head and again you know we i don't know what else happened again mm -hmm. so so both for and against everybody here in the picture i'm not pretending to have the whole story but based on what i'm seeing i'm seeing multiple attackers i'm seeing a weapon that could kill someone a skateboard you know to the head um i'm seeing the fact that he seemed to have been standing up i don't know if he was on the ground uh, now he's trying to get up they're threatening to kill him and they're hitting him with blunt force objects to the head uh that's when he draws and acts. What a mess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what a mess. Uh, and I would not be surprised, again, if we're missing something that's critical to the legal interpretation of the picture, both either for or against him, either for or against anybody in this picture. But based on what I'm seeing, um, he tried to retreat. So he's in a position now of, of potentially, don't know local laws, check your local listings, uscca.com slash laws. Um, but we're in a position where he was trying to retreat, he was pursued, he may have been knocked to the ground, they said that they're going to kill him at least once, uh, I've heard elsewhere that it may have been multiple times, but mm -hmm. I, on this recording I heard it at least once, and they're hitting him, they're bludgeoning to the head. I think that this is, it would not surprise me if he had uh, a strong self-defense claim mm -hmm. in this situation. Um, I would not be surprised if we are missing critical pieces of evidence that could alter that opinion, either for him or against him. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I'm being so careful to say that is because that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know if this guy was sane, and I'm not trying to pile on him, or, or I don't have no dog in this fight here. Okay. Um, but I don't know if he was making deadly threats or something like that right before this this recording went live. Uh, I, we don't know the context, but yeah. based on the four corners, as we would kind of say in law, based on the four corners, i.e., here's here's the our framework of what we're deciding it on. I would say, based on what I just saw, um, he may have an effective self-defense case. Yeah, and what we're looking at now, what we know of this case at this point was uh, the guy was arrested. He was taken into custody. Um, there was initially charges presented, but then those charges were dropped. But the prosecutor said. The charges are dropped. They're not dismissed. Of course. They're, they're dropped. Um, we want to investigate further and find out what got us to this point exactly. where this guy was shooting. Um, but um, from my perspective, you know, as the editor of Concealed Carry Magazine, um, that people need to see that to understand how dynamic an actual 
defensive gun use really is. Right. Um, it uh, it escalated very quickly. The shooting was over in just a couple of seconds, and now the aftermath goes on for, and for it was point quite blank. a long time. Point yeah. blank. And so, uh, and you know, they're probably going to do a deep dive on his social media history. Mm-hmm. Did he post about why he was going? Was it provocative? I mean. All that may not be the direct facts to the situation of did he try to retreat? Did somebody try to attack him? Did they threaten to kill him? And did they potentially try to kill him? Uh, I think we can all appreciate the fact that those are somewhat separate, but they're also somewhat connected. Because if you don't think that that's going to play a role in a prosecutor's mind, in a detective's mind, and for that matter, in a judge and jury's mind, it will play a role in that. Uh, if he went there to, to cause a problem, uh, then that's absolutely going to play a role. Uh, if he was uh, went there to counter-protest to express his First Amendment rights, and if he never laid a hand on anybody and basically just got, as I try to construct the, the most sympathetic case for him, legally speaking, if he just showed up, got manhandled by the crowd, and, and he never laid a hand on anybody, never shoved anybody, never pushed anybody, never threatened anybody, and it escalated to the point where he's running away and he gets run down and tackled and they're threatening to kill him, that's that's a very, to me, clean-cut self-defense scenario. Um, things are rarely clean-cut in our world, as you know, Kevin. Absolutely. Uh, I'm expecting that there's a lot of checkerboarding to this both ways, um, and we're going to see what happens at the end of the day. Yep. Well, we got a we got a second video, not so much a self defense case, um, but uh, an interesting case that was going on in the, in the autonomous zone in Seattle, and we'll roll this video and we'll see that. Uh, um, somebody decides that it's a good idea to hand out firearms to some of the occupiers um, there in Seattle. And I, I guess presenting this video to you, um, we see here, you know, uh, um, the uh, the apparent owner of the firearms um, walks over to his car, pops open the trunk of the Tesla. Um, so, you know, he's doing okay. And... Uh, and and just starts handing out. We just got uh, told there's another group that meeting. You can hear handing out semi-automatic rifles. And minutes, listen to the so question he asks. Somebody over the age of 18 know how to use a gun. <laughs> Somebody over the age of 18 know how to use a gun. And uh, the second guy there in the Mariners jersey, drinking a beer. I mean, it's. Uh, Is that what uh, he's drinking? It looked it. Uh, it uh, um, look to me like, yeah, a, 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 probably a Mexican beer, maybe not a Corona. We don't. We Looks don't. like you may be holding a GoPro too. Yeah. And so, um, now we're taking a look at this, and um, yeah, here, have a gun. You know, um, and uh, you know, keep the barrel pointed down, and uh, we've got, you know, that looks like an AK variant right there, you know, mm-hmm. with the uh, mm-hmm. banana-shaped clip and the, and the mm-hmm. distinctive muzzle. Um, we're looking at this, and the state of Washington, you know, has some what I would call draconian gun laws about the transfer of firearms. Right. They can't do the transfer of firearms in Washington without a background check. Right. So we're looking at lawbreakers right here, but... They're talking about using their Second Amendment rights, how they conveniently right. now decide to support the Second Amendment. Um, when, when you see something like this, what do you think about what they're doing? <laughs> well, there's a lot to the, in that question and, and, and the setup to it. Um, again, without, without taking the political dive, and because obviously I'm not here for my political punditry, I assume. So you're, you're looking at this from a legal scenario. Uh, I'm not a Washington state attorney, but based on what I understand of Washington state laws, we just 
this is felony evidence, yeah. is my understanding, um, or it's just some kind of crime evidence. So we've got that going for and against people. Um, I didn't see too much in the way of you know uh, trigger discipline, all this other kind of stuff from a civil liability scenario or if something happened. I don't know if Washington state law, so let's say, so okay, so gentleman number one distributes firearm to gentleman number two. Gentleman number two now commits a crime with it. Is gentleman number one going to be on the hook according to Washington state law? Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just kind of issue spotting. If I'm a prosecutor and assuming I'm familiar with local laws out there, which I hope they would be, um, then uh, then there there could be all sorts of both criminal and civil liabilities that could be attached to this beyond the apparent law violation of committing what would amount to a transfer, as I understand it, under yeah. Washington state law. And and again, um, you know, we, we, we put this video out there and it's it's basically a reminder um, we are the responsibly armed Americans. We want to act responsibly with our firearms. Um, you know, flip this situation around and, and suddenly this becomes a group of people who decide that they're going to defend their home from uh, an approaching mob of protesters. You still could be in trouble if you're doing the right thing. Right. But, you know, in this case, they're in Washington State and they're handing out guns. And again, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to um, to make a transfer of a firearm without going through a background check and probably working it through a, an FFL dealer or something right. like that. Right. Um, I didn't see just, any forty four seventy threes there. Yeah, nobody was filling out the paperwork right. or showing the driver's license, and and he asked, "Are you over eighteen? Guy didn't produce any ID or anything. Yeah, just here. I, right. I, I'd like a rifle, which may or may not be legal. I mean, yeah. we we don't know for Washington and, state laws. And I don't know. I'm just crazy enough that if I heard someone was handing out free rifles. I might just go to see if I would get one. But, uh, <laughs> uh, certainly, I would follow all the laws if I was in the state of Washington. Uh, absolutely. But um, for me, that was just an interesting topic, just an interesting sidelight to all the other things that was going on there. And I just wanted to get your take on it when we when we took a look at that video. So thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. All right, folks. Well, that looks like it's going to do it for us here at the Ask an Attorney webinar. I'm Kevin Michalowski, not the attorney. Tom Grieve, head of Grieve Law, the largest criminal defense firm in the state of Wisconsin. And if you're watching this as a USCCA member, you're getting to see it first. If you're not a USCCA member and you're watching this, remember that all of the other USCCA members got this and more information ahead of time. So it's a member benefit. If you want to see this stuff first, you want to see it fastest, you want to get it before anybody else, join the USCCA. Tom, how can we help you? What can folks do who have watched this? How can they help you as a thanks for being here? Sure. Um, well, something that would be tremendous is if people could just take a couple moments, just you know, say thank you with a review if, if, if people felt willing to do so. Um, it's something that allows me to be here. It's something that uh, it's, it's fantastic to kind of read people's feedback. Um, and, you know, we you obviously don't have to do it. Uh, none of you people are, are my clients. I'm not paying you anything. Um, but, you know, it, it's tremendous. It's not some sort of marketing intern that reads the reviews. Um, you just do that by Googling our firm, Grieve Law, uh, and then you'll find little spots on Google. You can click write a review. It'll ask you to rate us on one to five stars. Keep in mind that it's the Internet, so two, three, four stars. It's kind of a failing grade. So I would ask that if you felt like you got something meaningful out of this content, to please consider leaving a five-star review. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. I uh, truly appreciate your insight, and uh, and especially when I drop things like this, uh, you know, a little bit uh, off the cuff and have <laughs> you take a look. Thanks, at Kevin. Outside your, <laughs> your normal area of expertise. But again, thank you for being here. And thank you, folks, for watching. This has been Ask an Attorney. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. Stay safe out there.